1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BDW. Revoid. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: You're listening to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you in-depth and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the biggest shows on Broadway and beyond. I'm your host, Variety's theater editor, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I talk with Billy Crudup, who's a regular presence not just on screen but also on stage, where he won a Tony Award in 2007 and is currently starring in Harry Clark, the solo thriller that was so popular at the Vineyard Theater last year that it's back for a commercial off-Broadway run at the Minetta Lane. He's here in the studio to talk about being the one man in a one-man show, his commitment to stage work, and what's next for him on screen, including roles in the DC Universe of Superhero Films and in the starry Richard Linklater film, Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Thanks for being here, Billy. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So you're back doing Harry Clark for a second run after the show premiered at the Vineyard and it turned into a big hit there. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about the story for listeners who haven't seen it yet or don't know it.
1: Well, it's about a young man, um, from the um, central United States who from a very early age feels confused about his identity and isn't, uh, entirely sure that he wants to even speak with an American accent. And I think, uh, by way of creative exploration, when he was, you know, starting to, Began to speak and identify um, himself as a, a kindergartner, he thought um, he could really be himself if he spoke with an English accent. So he started trying it out at home, and um, there was a great deal of resistance from his father. And uh, I think that that drove a, um, in him a curiosity about the nature of his own identity anyway, um, a sort of repulsion from his father. And so th- This theme throughout his life um, keeps uh, interrupting the flow of a regular routine. And this play in particular is the story of one episode in his life where he assumes a totally new persona um, who is kind of the... Also uh, with a British accent, but a different one. That's correct. Right. Uh, it, um, I, he's still located himself squarely in England, but right. this character seems to possess more of the qualities that he um, wishes that he had. Um, more gregarious, uh, less concerned with how people judge him, um, more in touch with uh, his own sexuality, and um, and the... The, the story really is, uh, for me, about um, how we figure out who we are as we explore the world and how much the legacy of our history informs that exploration and whether or not we're bound to it or we can uh, break free of it and create um, our lives uh, sort of in opposition to the things that were repressive Um, and building on the things that were supportive.
0: And it asks all these questions in the context of
1: what is essentially a thriller. Like, it's no coincidence that your character listens to noir soundtracks, right? It is no coincidence at all. And I think one of the things, uh, in addition to the kind of journey of uh, who is this character, uh, or his own journey in his discovery of identity, is the audience's discovery of, which one of these guys is actually narrating this? Yep. Um, so the audience gets to have the experience of feeling both charmed and thrilled by their narrator, and um, uh, uh, concerned, uh, threatened, uh, um, and and. and I think um, David uses that as a tool to try to create a thriller. Yeah. This is the playwright, David Kale, David Kale. Yeah, that's right.
0: Does the audience play a larger role in your experience of this
1: show than it does with other than it does with other shows? I feel like it must necessarily. No question about it. Not the least of which because um, materially they're the people that I'm speaking to. Right. So they're your scene partner, right? They're my scene partner precisely. And, um, I have a different idea of who they are in in, in my head than uh, you know. Oh. I don't think that uh, I, I don't I don't think that um, Philip thinks he's at the Manette Lane Theater or Philip th- thinks he at the Vineyard Theater. Right. Um, the set doesn't seem to suggest that either. I right. couldn't give away specifically what it was right. to any of us, but um, there's. There's suggestive locales about where he's speaking from. So it doesn't make sense internally for me to be responding to the audience as though they're the Manet audience. Right. But they are metaphorically for Philip, um, someone with whom he's engaged in trying to understand whether or not he's justified in living this kind of life. Right. Right. And um, so to that end, as the audience's response changes uh, night to night, so does Philip's idea of himself in this story. Does the audience response vary considerably? It does. Um, it certainly does. There are a number of uh, highly provocative scenes um, that elicit different responses from the audience. And Are you talking like laughter, gasps? What- y- uh, yes, exactly. Uh, both. Um, there, are, there are a number of scenes where you're, you're sort of hoping that Philip doesn't go down a certain path as Harry, and you can feel the audience... Um, concerned yeah, uh, right. <laughs> you can you can hear their concern um and there are a number of other scenes that uh they have twists and turns but they're sort of peppered with humor mm-hmm. and depending on uh how well prepared the actors playing each of the characters arrive each night uh sometimes it's funnier than others so right. Right. um <laughs> Sometimes uh, my Ruth uh, doesn't show up that day. Or Harry isn't as uh, interested in this aspect of uh, Ruth that was so charming to the audience before. So it's not all like Pat. So, But based on what you said a little earlier, does your performance
0: vary night to night more than it would in another show?
1: So this is um, part of what I bring to it, um, and I think most actors my generation... Um, certainly the people that I, I grew up with and trained with, they're, the way that you go about doing a play is prepare, prepare, prepare. Agree on the events of each of the scenes. Agree on your idea of the character. Agree on what the play is about. Right. Collaborate in full about the staging and the lighting all that. And then when the curtain opens, you play the scenes. And sometimes they have a different... What you're hoping for is a level of immediacy that the audience feels as though this is happening for the first time. And so there, there's a number of different things that you do to to help yourself along the way. Right. Um, but the you know at the most fundamental level, it's talking and listening, because right. um, the audience, you can hear, responds to something as though they're happening in that moment when people are talking and listening to each other, because that's when it seems vital to us. Right. Right. So that talking and listening is predicated upon where each actor arrives. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, for me, um, in playing all these different parts, sometimes uh, I'm more connected to features of Mm -hmm. uh, different characters on some nights rather than others. And so, consequently, there's a trickle-down effect where if Ruth doesn't open with the same energy, then Harry's going to have to use a different tack to get her (laughs) attention. And um, when I'm doing both of them, you know, they're... uh, um there can be there can be a lot to to manage mentally yeah i imagine it does it get lonely up there um it gets incredibly lonely oh. uh protect, particularly when um i i early on in uh in the production because of the volume of material um it, it was difficult for me to to keep it all in head and work like i memorize i, I my goal is to have it word perfect. That's the the, the way that I sort of um, was introduced into acting. Is that right. if you if you if you don't understand the way in which dialogue is structured, you're probably not going to connect to the material anyway. I've no I wasn't in, introduced to it in so far as like you should be a dramaturg or a writer and rewrite your part or offer this suggestion. Um, and so I try uh, as hard as I can to be word perfect. Um, We learned during the rehearsal, um, the re-rehearsal for this restaging, how uh, um, utterly wrong I was about my potential to be word perfect. Uh, (laughs) However, there was an attempt to be made. So that being said, when I was up there sometimes and I knew that I had inverted a couple of things, immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, did I... Misplace some crucial elements that because this is a thriller won't pay off later. Right. Um, and if I have done that, where can I fit that in in the upcoming? And as soon as you start doing that, you forget everything. I bet. And then all of a sudden, um, you're in a tunnel right. and it's dark outside and there's nobody else on stage and uh that's when you have to recover that's when you feel really lonely
0: and so how do you do that well that's there's no actor where, there's no fellow
1: actor on there to like cue you right? that's where hopefully your rehearsal and training uh takes over uh and what generally happens is it, uh you have to have a kind of mindfulness to say all right um you don't know exactly what's happening right now just take a breath um your mind will start searching for what just preceded the moment that just preceded it and then you'll see that your mouth kind of starts moving because there's muscle memory attached to sure. um you know the intellectual part of your brain that is the storyteller there's also the muscle memory of being on stage, a stage at a certain moment you know that you say it's a certain kind of language starts to come out so you're kind of watching yourself for a second um as The story trickles out slowly, and then you kind of recover. But during that interim, there's a pretty intense chemical dump where (laughs) you break out into a flop sweat. Um, You want to retire. Uh, The audience is confused. Uh, How often has that happened to you so far? um, It happened pretty regularly. Um, I would say just about every show uh, for a while. Because um, then you start to have a kind of anticipatory anxiety about it. Sure. Like, when is it going to happen? And um, when things are going particularly well, that's when you're sure, um, because you're so busy patting yourself on the back, right. that you're no longer the governor of the material, which is the thing that's allowing you to continue to memorize or, or play out what you've memorized. Um so you, you can't be too cocky with this kind of stuff. You have to... Uh, it's it really the relentlessness of the um, uh, mental focus is the thing that I've found is the most uh, intimidating and exhausting in right. doing it. So the producer of this uh, off-Broadway run, and they were involved earlier on, is
0: Audible, which um, is you know, an audio book known for its audio book, um, and work and is now kind of expanding into theater stuff of which Harry Clark is one of the first you've recorded it already for audible, right? Um, what was that? Li- so you just had your scene partner taken away from you, right? And when, when you were doing that <laughs> exactly for, uh, for the, for the, um, I was about to say podcast for the, um, audio version of it. What, what was that like? And how did you
1: it was a completely different experience. It was it it, it was um, the experience of doing a book on tape. Really, uh, have you done that? I have yeah. once once or twice before, mm-hmm. and that's incredibly difficult work. But it is a similar I kind of uh, the, the storytelling of it is very similar. Right? Um, but Did it one, feel
0: like a different performance?
1: Completely different. Interesting. Um, it, it, not the least of which because I had the text there. Oh right. So... <laughs> There's no flop sweat it but. wasn't the the, the the flop sweat was just hearing my own voice um the uh so be, being able to to refer to the text took away uh, some of I, I mean that energy that that goes into trying to um wrangle the storytelling is one of the things also too that makes it exciting to watch is um when I'm finding myself searching for what this story is, it often feels vital to the audience as well. So you immediately take away some of that and you have to reconnect to um, what is at the uh, the heart of David's writing there. And um, the sense of um, uh, storytelling uh, that, we worked hard to, you know, curate. Um, but it is right. absent some of the fundamental things that happen when we're doing it live. Right. Um, which is that, all right, you really keep talking the entire time for an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and uh, th- that that has a different kind of... Uh, there's, there's something exhilarating for me about that. And sometimes I think there's something exhilarating for the audience. So when we recorded that with um, for Audible, with the um, absence of that... Reconnecting to the vitality of the characters and and the uh, actual story itself and the terror of this moment in this person's life um, became uh, the, the highlighted part of it that I hope people will connect to and it's really I mean uh, exciting that Audible is using the opportunity um, to uh, promote new playwrights as well. Uh, this is something that it, it has always been very important to me and one of the ruses in the show
0: involves uh, a character's relationship to Sade which begs the question has she come to see the show
1: and as far as I know she has not I imagine that yes it would create uh, an earthquake uh, on the um, in the West Village if um, Sade appeared Uh, certainly with within the the midst of the company um i've right. got a big poster of, of her up in my dressing room oh okay um she sits there in judgment and in <laughs> uh um support yeah okay. um with her arms crossed um but uh no i we have not seen shade yet right. though
0: yet is yet, the, is the important part. exactly yeah. Yeah.
1: though with the release of her her new um single she could be looking for some th- theater to see after uh, that. i think that's right i think it would be a great opportunity for her to <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and so as you've had a sort of long and consistent career on screen from almost famous to you know more recently like spotlight and 20th century women and jackie and, and you know you were on that netflix show uh, gypsy just recently you've always come back to the stage you mentioned as you started uh, as you mentioned earlier you were in arcadia um twice first and the first time around and then the second time around and then you know, you won a Tony for Coast of Utopia, and, so you, and you've done Off-Broadway, and what what keeps bringing you back? I've, there are a lot of people who don't come back, and what
1: brings you back? I have to say, the my first attachment to what it was to be an actor was... Um, through the stage. My mom used to take us to see Broadway shows when we were kids. Um, You're from
0: upstate New York? Is that right? I, Long, Island. Long Island. We were bo- okay.
1: born on Long Island, then lived in South Florida and Texas, North right. Carolina. Um, and um, I remember having a tremendous amount of, of affection for the experience of being in the room where people were trying to tell a story and um, the ingenuity that went into stagecraft. And... Uh, uh, I haven't been able to shake that affection. Um, I've also always felt that, like, if you want to have a long career as an actor, you have to take opportunities early in your career in particular that allow you to grow, that make you feel uncomfortable, that um, perhaps the, the part is beyond you. Most parts feel beyond me. But I was getting m- most of the really exciting opportunities um in the theater and um so it seemed uh impossible for me to turn down those opportunities for opportunities that I felt like I knew I could do um that might may I might be able to make some money at I thought in the long term they're not going to benefit my ability to be an actor um and sustain a career over decades which is really what I wanted to Is do.
0: there a role in particular that kind of exemplifies that?
1: Um There was a production of Oedipus that um, I did with Francis McDormand in, um, I want to say it was around 1999 or 2000. I can't remember. Was something. that here? It was here. It was um, the Blue Light Theater Company had produced it. Um, and it the show ended up running about four hours. <laughs> <laughs> four hours. It started with a monologue from Francis that was like, must have been 30 minutes long or something. Um, and then after that, I was on stage the whole time. Right. And it was extremely heavy lifting. Uh, the It was a, a, a different take on the Oedipus story, where Oedipus learns that he's going to sleep with his mother and kill his father. And, you know, in the original Oedipus story, he then decides to leave right. um, so that that doesn't happen. But the fates obviously catch up with him. Right. And so in our version, he decides to take the bull by the horns. and <laughs> So to speak. By the horn, <laughs> precisely. <laughs> and immediately kills his father and tries to seduce his mother. Right. Um, and hijinks from there. Yeah, hijinks from uh, there. But in it That's incredibly right. complex language. Um, and... Uh, it, it it was the kind of it had to have an appetite for something that may turn into a total bust. Right. Um there there there's no but what it did have was ambition in its storytelling and I appreciated that and what it also offered was an opportunity for me to uh take on a part that was incredibly daunting. Right. The same could be said for um Elephant Man sure. um which again I wasn't something that was in 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 um in my mind as a play to aspire to do, um, and most recently getting to do um waiting for Godot and uh, No Man's Land yeah. um to do to do Pinter um and Beckett in repertory with Shuler Hensley and Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen um, on Broadway it it's it just like a one of a kind sort of experience so it's hard to explain it to your agents, you know, that (laughs) I I really, I'd like to take supporting parts in both of these plays, um, so that I can do this. But, you know, as far as I was concerned, again, that added to my vocabulary as an actor, understanding, um, again, different playwrights, uh, very ambitious playwrights, playwrights whose work has stood the test of time. Um, and to do that with actors who, you know, I grew up admiring, um, so I have to say I've had a pretty consistent um, stream of great parts in the yeah. theater. Yeah.
0: But at, as as we say, you, you're you still doing plenty of work for the screen. You've got um, this movie, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, coming out that's got uh, a big starry cast and Richard Linklater and Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you went to the Arctic? I saw there was a video. There was yes, some right. scary footage of a storm that yeah was
1: that was uh, absolutely thrilling and um it, it was funny I, I used it on uh, jimmy fallon to promote and harry clark that's where and, i saw it that's exactly fact where i saw it yeah. and um <laughs> we it, it shot uh, the story actually takes place um in seattle right. and um uh Cate blanchett's character it's based is, on the novel but it's based on Sample, novel. we should say yeah. that's right um where'd you go bernadette yeah and um So Kay plays Bernadette, and she's become um, disillusioned with Seattle. And a lot of the story is about her disillusionment and how that um, leads to kind of a fracture in her marriage and because her husband is doing exceedingly well at um, at Microsoft. And um, at a certain point, um, she decides to exit the scene and um myself and my daughter go searching for her in the place we believe is most likely um that we'll find her uh, which is uh Antarctica right. um and um we doubled Greenland for um uh for Antarctica because uh, we were shooting during the summer and uh it was the place that we could navigate to right well, um, about, we were, we were all on a ship. For yeah, you on a giant ship, right? Yeah, yeah, for about seven days, and the captain says at a certain point, we're going to have to cut filming short and get back into the open ocean. We've got a storm coming, and we want to get ahead of it. And, um, you know, about 10 hours into the voyage back to the fjord where we came from, <laughs> um, the storm caught up to us, and, we were in, you know, um, 25, 30 foot seas with, um, 75 mile an hour gusts. So it was, uh, technically an Arctic hurricane. Yeah. Um, it certainly felt like it. it was, there was nothing technical about the feeling. I mean, <laughs> it was full on, uh, a lot of people went down. Right. Yeah. Right. And Richard Linklater has
0: a reputation for, uh, working in a very distinctive style with actors. Did you, did you find that? Was that your experience? No question about
1: it. He, he's, um, a real champion for, um, for, I would say, artists in general, creative artists um, uh, 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 with filmmaking, um, giving the various constituent departments a tremendous amount of uh, guidance and freedom, and to that extent, um, actors as well. So we spent a great deal of time rehearsing at our own pace. Um, More than usual? much more than usual. Films um, don't really rehearse. They right? don't rehearse much anymore. Um, and um, uh, Richard still sees a tremendous amount of value in that, um, not the least of which financially, because the days are longer for him when he has to rehearse the scenes in the morning, right. and people don't um, agree, maybe, on what the event is that you're shooting that day, or they don't understand his particular take. Uh The camera department isn't exactly ready for the staging that the actors come up with at the moment. Um, There's lots of questions, you know, like, no, I would never use that briefcase. And uh, that stuff ends up taking up a lot of time. And if you uh, are shrewd about the way that you rehearse, you can actually save production a lot of money. And he's, I think, one of the producers on it as well. But also, um, he sees it as, uh, or from my impression, he sees it vital in terms of the collaborative communication about how we're going to tell the story you think it's that you think that means that you think LG is this kind of guy oh I thought he was like this what if he's somewhere um, what if he's like that in this way or not like and um, that is a very familiar way of working for me so uh, I could not have been more excited to be uh, in a a room with him and the other actors Uh, um, we shot it in pittsburgh pittsburgh doubled for oh, seattle weird who knew <laughs> not not uh, me there you go <laughs> but comes out, they, they also offered uh tax incentives yeah, somebody, <laughs> sure. yeah
0: yeah and that's out in the fall as i recall yes and
1: um, um i haven't seen it yet so i'm not yeah. sure but uh
0: and you also have or will have a role in the uh dc universe coming up yeah well i, I mean,
1: certainly hope that see, uh th-
0: this is in the this is uh in the Flashpoint movie. Yeah, this is the... Um, the yeah,
1: f- I am as in the dark about it as everybody else yeah. in the um, actual universe. H- Harry Al- Henry Allen is your, Henry is Allen, your character. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, listen, yep. my uh, 14-year-old Barry son... Allen's father. He must be very excited. Uh, he's dead set on it app. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, nah, I don't want to see you if you don't end up... Uh, but right. I did get to already... Appear as Henry Allen in the Justice right, League in the Justice
0: League movie, right? So uh, you, I was like, "Dude, counterbalance, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. I got right. some swag, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what's next for you on stage
1: after this? Do you know? I don't know. Um, I uh, I don't know. I think I'll need a break. Sure.
0: <laughs> are there roles do you have a stage role or a number of stage roles is there a list of stage roles that you have always wanted to play
1: no i mean, actually there's never been uh i can remember when i i, I first started getting parts um agents uh m- or producers saying is there, you know what do you want to do is there something you're interested in doing and i've never had any investment in any particular part i i've always felt that i i will be of most use um as an instrument in somebody else's vision. So a director who comes up and says, listen, I've got this play. I know I want to do this with it. I feel like this part is something is like in your wheelhouse, or maybe I would like to try with you. Um, that's where I get excited. And, um, I, I guess, um, it, 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 it does leave you at the hands of, you know, um, the producers and directors and whether or not you're fashionable at that moment or not. Um, but, i i haven't yet developed an instinct to um claim territory with right. certain parts uh i just um try to dive in as soon as i can with something that um hopefully someone much smarter and much more talented is going right. to include me in right.
0: great well i can't wait to see what that is the next time we see you on stage i appreciate it and, thanks so much uh, for having me. Harry Clark running through May 13th um, at the Minetta Lane Theatre. Check it out. Um, thanks for being here, Billy. Thank you. That was Billy Crudup, currently starring in Harry Clark, now playing at Off-Broadway's Minetta Lane Theatre through May 13th. In the next episode of StageCraft, I'll talk to Billy Piper, the actress from Doctor Who and Penny Dreadful, who's now in New York reprising her starring role in the buzzy London hit, Yerma. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work